I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, and over the next six weeks together, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5 and walking down through verse 15 will be the text that we'll read each week, and then we're going to take the passage of Scripture and like a diamond, hold it up to the light week after week after week, focusing in on the beauty of what we see here as Jesus talks about what it looks like for us to pray to our Heavenly Father. I don't know if you've had someone in your life that was a formidable influence for you. But as I've shared with you week after week, my grandfather was that influence in my life. He was a character of a man. He taught me all kinds of things. And in South Georgia, things that actually matter, right? He taught me how to bait a hook. You need to know how to do that. He taught me how to take a catfish off of a hook without getting stuck. He taught me how to rob a beehive in a tree. Some of y'all are like, who are you, right? (laughs) He taught me how to lead a dove that was flying with my shotgun so that I could hit it on the path that it was going on and and take it down. I saw him do that when I was about 11 years old. I was driving the four-wheeler. He was sitting on the back and a couple of dove came across the field as I was driving along and he tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, watch this. And riding on the four-wheeler, he led those dove and, and took them down. My grandfather taught me all kinds of things. You know, and he's gone now, and there are things that I think, I, man, I wish he would have taught me how to do some other things. As we look at the text this morning, there's a companion passage to what we're going to read in Matthew chapter 6. It's in Luke chapter 11, and we don't have time to focus on that this morning, so I would encourage you in your own time with the Lord to focus in on Luke chapter 11. But it's a scene that describes Jesus' disciples asking Jesus to teach them how to do something. I don't know about you, but for me, if I could ask Jesus to teach me how to do something, performing miracles would probably be at the top of the list. Followed by walking on water. Now, how cool would that be? But interestingly, Jesus' disciples, after watching him commune in prayer with his heavenly Father, asked Jesus to teach them not how to do miracles, not how to walk on water, not how to mesmerize the crowds with teaching, They said, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. Over the next six weeks together, my hope and my prayer is that 
through Jesus' teaching on this issue of prayer that for us who are gathered here as a body of Christ at North River Church, who have trusted Jesus as our Savior, that we would be encouraged and challenged and equipped to pray to our Heavenly Father as we see Jesus teach us what it means to pray to our Heavenly Father. And if you're here this morning and you've not yet taken that step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, of having your sins forgiven, of being brought into the family of God, to be able to declare with us who are gathered here this morning that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that God is your Heavenly Father, my hope and my prayer is that as we walk through the text, you would have a yearning, a desire to utter your first prayer to the Lord this morning, a prayer of confession that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, a prayer of confession that Jesus Christ is your Savior. If you're not yet a believer here this morning, that is a prayer that God promises to answer. If you are a believer this morning, my hope is that as we walk through the text this week and over the next six weeks together, we would be better equipped to be a praying people. So let's walk through this morning, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. I'm going to read through verse 15, and then we'll walk back through, focusing in on verses 5 through 8 this morning. But this is God's Word, Jesus' teaching to the crowds who are gathered around. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see that you would open our ears, that we would be able to hear. 
that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. As we look this morning at verses 5 through verse 8 in Matthew chapter 6, as we consider what we often have called the Lord's Prayer, as we look at Jesus' teaching to his disciples and here to the crowd, this is what it looks like to pray to our heavenly Father. I want you to take down this main idea. You can write this in your notes and I want to encourage you to give yourself um, opportunity to write down four truths that we're going to see Jesus unpack for us in verses eight, five through eight this morning. But here's the main idea. This will frame our time together. It's this truth. The way that we approach God in prayer will either greatly hinder or greatly enhance our prayer life. Our posture towards the Lord, the way in which we approach God as we pray will either greatly hinder our prayer life or it has the potential to greatly enhance our prayer life. See, what Jesus is going to do as he teaches here in just a minute, verses 5 through verse 8, is Jesus is going to hold up two examples, two people, two groups of people that the crowds would have been very familiar with at this point in time in history. He's going to hold up what he refers to as the hypocrites. It was the religious leaders of Jesus' day, those who would have ruled over the synagogues, the Jewish people at that point, the Pharisees, the scribes of Jesus' day. He's going to hold them up and he's going to say, this is not how you pray. And then he's going to say, but this is how you pray. So that's the first group. Then he's going to reference a second group and he calls them the Gentiles. It was the pagans of Jesus' day, those who did not know the one true God and worshiped many false gods. And he's going to say, here's how they pray. And this is not how you are to pray, but here is how you should pray. So we're gonna dial in that this morning. I want you to look beginning in verse Five, as we look at the first truth this morning, and it is that prayer is not a performance. Prayer is not a performance. Notice how he describes the hypocrites beginning in verse five today. He says, and when you pray, Jesus expects that we would be a praying people. Those of us who have a relationship through him with our heavenly father, that prayer would be something that we're doing. So when you pray, he says, you must not be like the hypocrites. You don't want to be like them. Well, how are they described? He says, for they love to stand and to pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. So catch this picture that would have been very familiar for the crowd, which is even filled with some of these religious leaders. It's filled with people who are seeking to hear what Jesus has to say. It's filled with Gentiles. So all of them are in the crowd as Jesus is teaching here. And he says, the hypocrites pray like this. They place themselves in prominent places like the synagogue or like the street corners and they pray very loudly and 
boisterously so that everyone would turn and look at them. So for instance, just imagine if you were walking through the downtown, not parish, because it's not there, right? If you were walking downtown somewhere else, and someone was on the street corner, and they were praying loudly in front of everybody, boisterously praying. You look and go, that's kind of odd. Or maybe if you walked in church this morning, and in the foyer, as you're just walking in, someone is loudly just kind of by themselves, and they are praying out loud, loudly in front of everybody. You look and say, well, that's kind of odd. And at this point in time, the people in the crowd would have said, we know exactly what you're talking about. We've witnessed that. We've seen them doing that. I want you to notice what Jesus says. They do that, that they may be seen by others. He's describing the religious leaders of the day, those who were tasked with leading the people to follow God, and he says about them, they're simply doing that so that people's attention would be focused on them, and they would think that, man, they must be like super spiritual. I mean, they're praying in front of everybody. They're using fancy words that we don't even know. They're praying in front of everybody. Certainly they must be, like they must have God figured out. And yet Jesus says their primary objective, and notice that Jesus is able to know the intentions of their heart at various points throughout his ministry. He approaches the religious leaders and says to them, you're doing all the outward things, but the reality is within you are simply dead. You have no heart for God. You simply want what you think God can give you and what the people around you will think about you because of your supposed spirituality. And here, Jesus says they're only interested in being seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus says about them as they approach prayer as a performance that they are going to get everything that they're going to get, not from God's response to their prayer, but simply from what people are thinking about them. And Jesus says, this is not how you should pray. So think about that in relation to your life. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, what does your prayer life look like? Do you primarily see it as a performance? And maybe not publicly. Maybe it's not something that you do publicly. Maybe it's in private, but you are primarily thinking that God is interested in some type of performance from you. Where you have to somehow impress God as you come to him in prayer. I want you to hear Jesus' words this morning that prayer is not a performance. God is not impressed with the prayers that we pray if our language is a certain way or the prayers that we pray if they're done in front of other people. Prayer is not a performance. So then, what is prayer? 
Well, notice his response in verse 6. On the heels of saying, prayer is not a performance. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Notice in verse 6, and you can take down this second truth. Prayer is the private pursuit of an intimate relationship with our heavenly Father. So prayer is not a performance. Everybody look at me or God, let me try to impress you with the words that I use. No, he says here that prayer is a private pursuit of an intimate relationship with our heavenly father. Verse six, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Notice the contrast that he uses there, prayer between the hypocrites that he describes, the religious leaders who were simply praying so that everybody would look at them. He says, no, pray like this. Go into a private room and shut the door and pray to your Father in secret. Prayer for Jesus was not a performance. In fact, I want you to take note of the fact that Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them to pray after they witnessed him consistently throughout his ministry leave the crowds of people and leave the disciples and retreat by himself so that he could spend time with his heavenly father. One of my favorite things to do reading through the gospel account of Jesus' life and his ministry is to see him oftentimes retreat from the crowd. Jesus would preach to thousands and then he would leave. Jesus would heal multitudes and then he would walk away and go out on a boat or go up to the mountain and spend time privately in communion with his heavenly father. So Jesus, in teaching his disciples, those who are seeking to follow him, what it looks like to pray to our heavenly father, he says, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, notice, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I saw this most vividly when I was a freshman in high school, my baseball coach took it upon himself to disciple me as a follower of Jesus, to just pour his life into me. And so he would pick me up. We would go eat breakfast once a week together. And he gave me a discipleship book that we would walk through together, reading passages of scripture and having discussions and things like that. And and I still have it to this day. And he wrote on the inside cover of this book that we walk through together. He said, Never lose sight of what he called AT&T time. AT&T, the phone company, right? Helpful way to remember it. But he wrote up underneath that, alone time at the throne. And he'd say, Michael, you will never gain more in your life as a follower of Jesus than you will during your alone time at the throne. Private time 
before the Lord where we spend time in his word and we spend time in prayer communing with him. That's what Jesus describes here and he says the promise on it is that your father who sees in secret will reward you. I want you to notice that in verse 7, Jesus is going to bring in another group. He's talking about the hypocrites, the religious leaders. Don't pray like them. Pray like this. Now he's going to describe the Gentiles. He's going to say, don't pray like them. These are those who were worshiping false gods, the pagans of Jesus' day. He says in verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. We're taking notes of the third truth in verse 7 here that we see is prayer is not a prescriptive formula. So for the Gentiles, they thought, he describes here, that they would be heard for their many words. They thought that their gods, their false gods, would only respond if they said the right words in the right order, the right amount of times. Then they would unlock the ability for their God to work. If you grew up in the 80s and early 90s and you played video games, you remember the cheat codes? Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, start. You remember those? Some of y'all are like, yes, he did it. There's a cheat code in a number of games on the Nintendo where you were able to get more lives than the game originally gave you. And if you knew the cheat code, you were able to unlock that. And sometimes for us, we think that God is like that. That there must be some cheat code in prayer. That if we could figure it out, then we could get God to do what we need him to do. Maybe there's words that we have to say. Maybe there's phrases that we have to repeat. I don't know if you grew up like this, but for me, there was, there was one thing that if you didn't end your prayer with, in Jesus' name, amen. Like that was the stamp on the prayer so that it made sure it got to heaven, right? But I want you to notice that Jesus is describing prayer not like some cheat code to get God's attention. He says, for the Gentiles, they think that their false gods are going to hear if they'll simply repeat the same words or in the right order or more times or whatever it is. That's what's going to get their God to answer. But he says to us, don't pray like that. You may have been discouraged in your prayer life because You don't feel like God's answering. And you may have had someone come along and say to you, well, are are you doing it right? Like, are you you praying right? Like, you do know there's there's a formula that you have to follow or, you know, he doesn't hear that. But I want you to hear this morning that Jesus says that's not the case. That prayer is not some prescriptive formula that, that it's almost like, we think God is a cosmic vending machine and that if we'll just hit the right button, A16, that we'll get from him what we need. 
I want you to hear me this morning. That's not the way God operates. God is not a cosmic vending machine. He's not a cosmic genie in the bottle where if we'll just say the right words, he'll show up and do what we want him to do. That is not the God that we worship. So then, how do we pray? Well, notice in verse 8, and if you want to write down this fourth truth, prayer is the purposeful preparation of our hearts to be transformed by our Heavenly Father. For us as followers of Jesus, sometimes we think prayer is primarily getting God to do what we want God to do. When the reality is, prayer is primarily God getting us in a place where he can do what he's already planned to do. It is a work not of trying to convince God to get on our schedule, but for us to prepare our hearts to be on his schedule so that we are prepared for him to work and to move in and through us for his glory and ultimately though we may not be able to see it for our good so he says in verse 8 do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him think about that for just a second as we, as his children, if we're followers of Jesus, as we approach our heavenly father, he knows what we need before we ask. He knows what is going on in our lives before we even come to him in prayer. We don't inform God of anything that he doesn't already know. You don't have to let God know something that you don't think he knows. God knows all of it. So then you could look and say, well then, then what's the point of prayer? I mean, if God already knows if God already knows what we're going to come to him and ask for, and then put that into context, not only that, God already knows really what we need, which oftentimes we don't. So then what then is the point of prayer? Well, if we think prayer is primarily about getting God to change his mind and do what we want him to do, we will be forever frustrated in prayer. But if we will approach prayer in this capacity that we serve a sovereign God who is at work in this world and at work in our lives. And there's nothing that we can inform him about that he doesn't already know. And there's nothing that we can ask him for that he has not already planned in the future to either provide or not provide. Then primarily prayer is about us humbling ourselves before God, primarily about us 
being willing to say with our words and with our heart's affections, I trust you. Prayer is primarily about God forming us to be the kind of people that he can use for his glory and for his purposes. I've sat at hospital beds. I've sat beside people who had been given just a few days, a few hours to live. And it's always interesting as a pastor in that moment. How do I pray? Because I know for the family and I know even personally that I love this person who is about to pass into glory. And there's part of me who would love nothing more than to see God heal that person physically and give them more time on this earth. And then I know as well that God's word teaches us that physical healing this side of heaven doesn't always happen according to God's plan. And that God's plan very well may be to provide that physical healing, but it's going to be through death physically now and them to be with Christ forever. And if we're not careful, we'll pray and think that if God doesn't answer the prayer to heal them physically in this moment, maybe God doesn't care. Or maybe God's not able to. And then you look and say, well, if you pray and kind of leave God the caveat, hey, God, if you don't want to do this, then you can take them home. It's like, are you praying in faith in that? You're believing that God actually could physically heal them now. But then when you take a step back from it, what you realize is in prayer that God is molding and shaping us in that. That God is working in our hearts. That God is transforming us so that as He works in this world in which we live, though we may not understand it and though we may not be able to put it into perspective, this side of eternity, we know that we have a sovereign God who is at work molding and shaping us as we come to Him in prayer. We trust, we believe, we proclaim that we trust Him. Prayer is not a performance. Prayer is not a prescriptive formula. It's a private pursuit of an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. It is purposeful preparation for our hearts to be transformed by him. Jesus lays out for us the posture of prayer. Here's how we approach our heavenly father. I want to ask you if you'd bow your heads with me this morning. As our worship team makes their way back, we're going to have just a few moments
to respond to God's word this morning. And then as we finish up with our response time, we're going to celebrate communion together. But you may be here this morning, and for you, as we talk about prayer, as we talk about communion with God, the reality for you this morning is that that is impossible for you because you've not yet taken the step of praying the first prayer. That is a prayer of confession, of repentance, of asking Jesus Christ to save you from your sin so that you could experience what it means to be brought into the family of God, to be able to call God your heavenly Father. And if that's where you are this morning, I want to encourage you in this time of response that that is a prayer this morning God promises to hear, that God promises to answer Jesus Christ's blood shed, his body broken, makes it possible for you this morning to have your sins forgiven and to be brought into the family of God. I would encourage you in just a bit as we have a time of response to simply pray that prayer to God, to ask him to save you, to confess Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning. We'd love to help you take that step. If you have questions about that, you can fill out a connection card, ask to speak with a pastor, or you can come down front here in just a bit. We'd love to help you take that step. If you're a follower of Jesus already this morning, maybe you've approached prayer not entirely in the right way. And the Lord's brought conviction to your heart through his word this morning. And, and you just want to take this as an opportunity to confess that to him, and to ask him to help you as you approach him in prayer, to do so recognizing that he desires to commune with you, that he desires an intimate relationship with you that he desires for you to put your heart on the altar today so that he can work and mold and shape you into who he's called you to be. You have an opportunity now to just kneel where you are or as we begin to sing, to just come down and kneel at the front here as an altar to the Lord. Father, we ask this morning that you would work in our hearts and our lives through your word, through your spirit as you have during this time together. For those who have never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as their savior, would you give them the courage, the ability today to pray that first prayer of repentance and confession that they would receive Jesus as their savior this morning. Father, for the believers that are here, God, would you work in our hearts and our lives that we 
would be a people of prayer that you would work in and through us in powerful ways as we approach you in the right way. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We'll sing. Give you a moment to respond this morning. Pastors will be down front. And then at the end, I'll ask you to sit, and then we'll celebrate together the Lord's Supper. But you respond this morning as the Lord leads.